And so before Tim comes to preach, let's have our Bible reading. It's Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And and he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. (coughs) Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Good morning and a happy new year to you all. Sheila Sheldon tells me there are still some Christmas cards left on the table outside. If you'd like to check on your way out, please, and collect any cards that do belong to you. And can I encourage you to have a chat with Dave Sheldon about the food bank? Uh, They are looking for volunteers to help staff that. And if you thought about, you know, night shelter, not really into staying up all night, but you are free during the day, perhaps if you're retired, then they are looking for people from the churches to help staff that. And so Dave will be very glad to talk to anyone interested in helping to staff the food bank. This morning, New Year, we start a new series in the mornings on Ephesians, and in the evenings we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, running up to Easter. According to the American novelist William Goldman, as far as the film-making process is concerned, stars are essentially worthless and absolutely essential. Worthless, yet essential. You don't value them, but you do need them. It's an attitude that judges people solely on the basis of what they can produce that is of use to the person doing the assessing. People aren't valued. They are just held on to as long as they are essential. When they are no longer essential, they can easily be thrown on the scrap heap and replaced. That's kind of a little bit like the ethos of the contemporary workplace. No one's really valued people are retained only insofar as they are essential. It's a kind of attitude that worms its way into personal relationships with toxic effects. It amounts really to emotional abuse. I need someone to look after me and take care of me, but I can treat that person with complete and utter contempt. They are valuable only insofar as they are useful to me. And most of the time, 
they feel and maybe are told in no uncertain terms just how useless they are. And according to Kirsten Waring, the actress who plays Kirsty Browning in EastEnders and Delilah in the Channel 5 Bible series, if someone tells you often enough you're worthless, you start to believe it. So what are you worth? How good do you feel about yourself at the start of 2014? Was last year a good year for you? Can you face the coming year with the confidence that whatever challenges it holds, you'll be up for them? Do you know that you matter because there is someone who thinks the world of you, who judges you not on the basis of how useful you are to them, but who values you as a person in your own right? God values you that way. Don't knock that. I know some of you might think that God is a poor second best to the person of your dreams treating you that way. But it is true that here and now, God values you that way. Right now, who are you looking to for your sense of value or importance as a person? If you're looking to someone who isn't treating you right, you're looking in the wrong direction. If you're waiting for someone to come into your life to treat you right, I can understand why you're doing that. And if they appear over the horizon in 2014, that would be fantastic. But you need to be aware of offloading a whole amount of emotional baggage onto them when they do appear, and they may not be ready to carry that burden straight away. And suppose that by the end of 2014, they still haven't materialised. Right here, right now... God thinks the world of you. So at the start of 2014, if you're looking for somewhere, someone, to give you a sense of your own self-worth and importance, God is a good place to start. A key to having confidence. Not least because the value he sets on you is not performance-related. His love for you is not conditional on how willing you are to do his bidding. The foundation of his personal commitment to you is, as Maria was saying, it's grace. The opening verses of Paul's letter to the Ephesians are a celebration of God's grace. For 12 verses and over 200 words, without so much as a single full stop in the original, Paul develops and elaborates his opening declaration, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he starts, that's how he carries on, by explaining that God is worthy of that praise because he has been so fantastically generous and kind and loving to us. God is amazing because of his grace. And for Paul, praising God isn't like standing back and admiring a work of art and then walking away from it. For Paul, God is so wonderful because God has been so wonderful to him. His praise of God is a direct response to God's grace to him, what God has done for him, the commitment God has shown to him. And God's commitment is not one that's here today and gone tomorrow, or might just perhaps make it to the end of the year if you're lucky. It is a commitment rooted in eternity, completely valid for the present, and 100% guaranteed for the future. Looking back, Paul asserts that before the creation of the world, 
God chose you to be homely and blameless in his sight. Predestining you in love to be adopted as his child. Here you have the unconditionality of God's love for you. He chose you because it was his good pleasure to do so. It's all a matter of his glorious grace, which he has freely and generously bestowed on us in his beloved Son. Literally, the grace with which he has graced us in the beloved one. Your value in God's sight is rooted in his grace towards you. It's not about how well you do. It's not about how much you achieve, how hard you work. God chose you not because you were holy and blameless already, He chose you before you were anything at all, actually. The basis of his calling is nothing other than his love for you that claims you as his child and purpose to set you apart for himself. That's what being holy is all about. And to confront your failings and your shortcomings with forgiveness rather than condemnation. That's what being blameless is all about. You can be blameless in the sight of God, not because you've never done anything worthy of blame, but because in his Son, God himself took the blame for you upon the cross. Paul spells this out. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We may feel we're not worthy. We may wonder how or why God could possibly love us, knowing the kind of people that we are and the things we've done. But there you go, he does. He does because he knows best. He knows us better than we know ourselves. There are no guilty secrets that we can hide from him. All of them have been forgiven in his Son, Jesus Christ. In the death of Christ, all our sins were placed on him. In dying on the cross, God paid the ultimate price to redeem us, to claim us back for himself. The blood of Christ, which was shed on the cross, is both the necessary and the sufficient cause for all your sins and failures to be dealt with and forgiven. Today, here and now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you have been redeemed once and for all by his blood. And in those well-known words of Philip Yancey about grace, grace means that there is nothing that you can do that would make God love you any the less, just as there is nothing you can do that would make God love you any more. It's all a matter of grace. And it is the complete opposite of the attitude that says, you're worthless, but I need you. God doesn't need you. God has no need of anybody else. God is completely sufficient within himself. But God sets immeasurable value upon you. You are worth the world to God. And we know that because he gave his own son to redeem us and bring us to himself. Here and now, God's grace declares You are worth it. Chosen before the creation of the world. Declared here and now to be worth it by God's grace. And what of the future? 
looking forward, Paul faces the future with confidence and optimism because he believes it's God's plan and purpose to unite everything in heaven and on earth under the sovereignty of Christ so that Christ becomes the undisputed head of the universe. That is God's plan and purpose and nothing will derail or shake that. The work he began when he raised Jesus from the dead, having defeated sin and evil and death himself, that work will be brought to a conclusion when every knee, even the the knees of those who currently are persecuting Christians in the Middle East and North Africa, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because the only hope for uniting this world is under his kingship. And God will work everything out in accordance with the purpose of his will. The one who called the world and its people into being is the one who will determine how it ends. And it all ends with everything being subordinated to Christ. And on that day, your presence there will be one of the reasons that everybody joins together to celebrate the glory of God, because we are included by God's grace in his purposes. All of us, young and old, together. Part of the witness of the church is the integration between young and old across the generations. Whatever nationality we come from, those who in society may be regarded as being outsiders, your presence there will be one of the reasons why everybody joins together in celebrating the glory of God. And in Christ, your presence there is guaranteed because God has marked you with the seal of his Holy Spirit, identifying you as his personal personal possession, marking you out as belonging to him through all the ups and downs of life until that day of final redemption from sin and sickness and mortality and suffering. The Holy Spirit is like God's down payment on your life. He holds the title deeds of who you are. Whatever happens to you between now and then, God claims you irrevocably as his own. All grace, everything God has done, is doing and will do. And what's our part to play in all of this? What do we do? Not a lot, actually. Almost all the verbs in this pean of praise have God as their subject. God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God chose us in love in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God predestined us to be his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure and will. It's all grace which he has bestowed on us in his Son. In God's infinite wisdom and understanding, he's lavished his grace upon us. So that in accordance with the abundance of that grace, we have been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven. He has made known the mystery of his purpose, which is to unite everything in heaven and earth under the single head of Jesus Christ. And you, you've been appointed and predestined, passive verbs there with God as the subject, to be for the praise of his glory. To this end, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, another passive verb, who is God's down payment on your life, marking you out as his treasure possession until the final day of redemption. God does all that. And what do we do? Well, there are three participles that are used to describe us in verses 12 and 13. We are people who have heard. 
We are people who have believed. We are people who have hoped. We're not people who've passed some test or live good enough lives or have made ourselves worthy of God's love and affection. No, we're people who have heard. And what have we heard? You've heard the message that I have just preached of God's unconditional love for you. The abundance of his grace for you. That means that he claims you as his own. Not because you're good enough, but because in the abundance of that love and grace, it is simply his good pleasure to do so. You have heard. Paul says we've also believed. Some of us here have believed. Others of us are still making up our minds. But what are we called to believe? That this message is for us. All this stuff applies to me. It's not true in some abstract sense that leaves me unaffected, my life unchanged. It is a readiness to hear the message of that unconditional love and realise, wow, that is for me. God's grace is enough for me. God sent his son to bear my sin. God created me in love to be for the praise of his glory. It's believing that this message that's been proclaimed down through the centuries since this letter was written is for you. Because it is. We hear, we believe, and we hope. We dare to hope that despite our insecurities, despite our failures, despite our sense of worthlessness, that one day we will see God face to face and see with our own eyes that Paul, that love that Paul tells us now to believe is there for us. It's a hope that can lift our heads because whatever anybody else might have said about us, whatever anybody else might have said to us, however we might feel about ourselves on the bleakest of days, God in his grace asserts his eternal love for you. To be part of this fantastic scenario, it's a matter of hearing and believing and hoping. Paul Tillich preached a famous sermon. He asked, do we know what it means to be struck by grace? He said, grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual because we violated another life, a life which we loved or from which we are estranged. It strikes us when our disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, our lack of direction and composure have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when year after year the longed-for perfection of life does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes, at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness and it is as though a voice was saying, you are accepted. You are accepted. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. It is all true. Only you can make it true for you. Listen. Believe. Hope.
God sees you as infinitely precious. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm.